Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 1 Thessalonians, we saw that the Thessalonian church or group of churches uh, had a big influence in the area in which they lived. The Apostle Paul came into the city. It was a seaport city, preached the gospel, church raised up, and they began just spreading out in the area and had a great influence over the area. And uh, he was only there a few weeks or maybe a couple months at most, and they kicked him out of the area. And uh, he sent Timothy to see ba- his protege, Timothy, to see how they were doing. And what happened was he came back with a bunch of questions that this young church or churches had. And so he is now in the process of answering them. And some of these questions were about uh, the end times and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, seems like shortly after he wrote the first letter, there was more questions that came back to him for some, or maybe clarifications of the letter. And so he writes this second letter uh, as well to this group of young believers. And he had taught them uh, about the uh, end of the age, not so they would be obsessed about it, but rather so they would face the future without fear. Do any of you ever fear? Any of you ever fear? Okay, so God does not want you to face the, fe- uh, uh, the future with fear. He wants you to face it without fear. And so... As the Apostle Paul teaches them about the end times, you know, a lot of times people read the Bible and they go, this is why I don't read it. It's so confusing. I don't understand it. And this is actually one of those sections where if you came to me and said you were reading it, I would say there's a, there's a good reason why you don't totally understand it. So just think about it for a second. Let's say I was teaching you something here and then I went away on a long vacation some of you were like, yeah, you need one. Take a long vacation. But I went away on a really long vacation, and you wrote me a letter. And then, and all of you who were here, you wrote me a letter, and I answered the questions in the letter. After an extensive time of teaching, I answered briefly the questions in the letter, and then we read it on a Sunday. All of you who were here would hear it and go, oh, I know what he's talking about. I was there. I remember what he was saying. The other people were going, what's he talking about? because they're missing a lot of the information that we already talked about. He had been there teaching them, and they were writing back questions to him. He's answering their questions, but were any of you there? Some of you are older than me. Were any of you there 2,000 years ago when, when, he, when he taught them this extensive teaching? So we don't have the, the, the knowledge of exactly what was going on, and so we're getting these areas of clarification and correction And again, you might say, well, how do you know that? Because the answers are so brief. We're not privy to the prior teaching. And sometimes that leaves us with more questions than answers when it comes to studying the Bible. But again, the the Apostle Paul's purpose was not to answer all our questions, but to encourage us in the Lord's faithfulness. Now, it's also important to remember, before you give up and go, that's why I'm never going to pick up the Bible again, much of the first century church was illiterate. And so here you have people who barely are literate and they're hearing this teaching or they can read some and they might read some of this and God wanted them to understand that. It seems they had a problem that we all do. We talked about this uh, shortly after uh, Pastor Rocco went home to be with the Lord is that sometimes it seems like our, our experience of life does not match up with the teaching of the Word of God. In such cases, what we need to do is we need to keep building our foundation on the Word of God. We need to filter out all of the false teaching that comes into our lives. It comes into our lives from so many places. It comes into our lives from our our culture. It comes into our lives, uh, really, from contemporary Christian culture as well. There's a lot of phony stuff that's out there. And it comes into our lives, sadly enough, from false teachers in the church. Now, you just said, did you just say in the church, Pastor Jim? Yes, uh, it happens uh, in the church. As we've been talking about in Thessalonica, false teachers were often following on the heels of the Apostle Paul after he had found a church. Still happens today. Churches are founded all over the world. We're seeing it particularly in South America and Africa and Asia, where missionaries are going out. They're teaching the gospel, and the false teachers are you know, quick on their heels because they know uh, where the gospel is taking root. And so um, false teachers had come into town, and they were teaching enough stuff that resembled what the Apostle Paul was teaching to make it seem plausible or true to others. 
Now, we saw last week in the, in the church they were undergoing persecution. And part of the persecution led them to a wrong conclusion. In the first letter, in chapter 5, we talked about the day of the Lord, a time of great tribulation, a time of great difficulty. And because of the persecution they were going under, they thought, we're going to see, that they thought they were in the day of the Lord. They thought they missed the Lord coming for his church, which he talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the, and the result, as we'll see in chapter 3 of this book, was some of the people began to become disorderly and lazy. So let's jump in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, talk brethren, Christian term, talking to Christians, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you. Now, some people think those are two separate events, that the uh, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is, our sec- is his second coming, and the gathering together is what we learned about in chapter 4, the rapture of the church or God taking his people uh, away. Uh, we ask you not to, be so, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, some of your Bibles might say the day of the Lord. So we call a textual variant means that different manuscripts have different words. Um, In this case, in what they're going through, I think day of the Lord is a better one, not the translation that I'm using that has day of Christ, because the day of Christ is considered to be more of a positive thing, and the day of the Lord considered to be more associated with the Lord's judgment. So uh, to me, verse 1 seems to me to agree with chapter 4, uh, of of First Thessalonians, that the Lord is going to come from His church, come for His church, protect them from this time of great tribulation and the Antichrist, which we are going to talk about tonight. Uh, and then verse two seems to go along with uh, chapter First uh, Thessalonians, chapter five, the beginning of the day of the Lord. So, the day of the Lord is a time of great trouble and tribulation. And you remember he said in chapter 4, I'm going to tell you all this stuff because I want you to be comforted. Now, does great trouble and trial and tribulation sound comforting to you? No, that's why I'm hoping that we're not going to be here. It actually sounds kind of scary to me. And it seems that they had thought, because of this influence of these false teachers, that the day of the Lord, or the persecution as well, or the wrath of God had already begun. The end of the age was here. God was going to pour out his judgment and interesting, this statement here, he says, as, as if it is from us, don't be troubled by it in verse 2, uh, by spirit or by word or by letter, as from us. So perhaps the false teachers were saying, oh, we have a word from the Spirit. So forget about what the Apostle Paul said, we have a word from the Spirit, or we have a word from the Lord. Or maybe they just said, we have a word from the Apostle Paul. Or maybe they were just misrepresenting what it was that the Apostle Paul had been teaching them. We don't know. But I will say this. Notice the debilitating effect of false teaching. It's really, really not good. And and the people are shaken. The people are troubled. The people are no longer anchored in the word of God. and, And they are drifting in a sea of error. I really see this when I do hospital visits. When I don't know the people, I can see the, how uneasy they are. I go visit our own people. They're yucking it up. They're laughing, even if they're dying. I'm like, what are you, you're telling jokes. Would you stop? Right? I'm upset. They're fine. Why? Because they're anchored. They're anchored in the word of the Lord. They are, not, they are not drifting, and they're not at, in the sea of error. Now, when we think about being in the day of the Lord, the time of God's judgment, the time of God's wrath, uh, if the apostle was wrong in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and the church will be here, believers will be here, the future is not very encouraging, is it? But if he's right, the Lord will protect his people, and that is a cause for great joy. Now, there are people, uh, we've been talking about some of these theological terms as we've been going through these books of Thess- to the Thessalonians here that believe in what's called the post-tribulation rapture, meaning the bad stuff will go down and then God will take his people with him to heaven. Um, 
and and they would say that the Apostle Paul is not saying they will miss the day of the Lord. He is preparing them for the day of the Lord. So he's preparing them to go through all of this awful time. And some people think, well, we're living in it now. Some people think we're living in this glorious age of the gospel now. If we are, I'm a little disappointed. And some people think we're living in, in the worst time that could possibly ever be. And tonight I think we're going to see some things that's going to show us, no, it actually could be a lot worse than it is right now. That, that's not to you know, diminish anybody's individual problems, but we're just talking on a worldwide uh, scale. Now, I would agree with the people who say that the Lord is uh, you know, preparing us in the sense that the Lord does have his finger on the pulse uh, of what's going on in the world, and nothing's going to surprise him or nothing's going to change his plans. And while I find them to be thoughtful theologians, the apostles' theme in First and Thessalonians has been this, that his end times teaching was meant for encouragement, not to frighten us. So, again, how are you encouraged when I tell you that things would get way worse? That's not very encouraging. It seems to me here that they're shaken because they thought they missed the second coming. Now, I'm not saying that people who believe have a different view of end times things than I do. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that they are false teachers. I'm just saying it's very easy for us in the confusing parts of the Bible to miss the clear parts and to miss the point of what God is teaching. And again, the point of this stuff he's told us already is to encourage us in the Lord and to empower you and I in the Lord, and um, to do what he told us to do last week, to endure in the faith. In other words, when people talk to you about the end of the age, and sometimes I hear guys on our own radio station, and I'm like, eh, not so sure about that. Uh, I know it sells books. I, I know it, 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 it's great for seminars and stuff like that, but, but don't let the noise shake you. Don't let different things cause, it, cause an earthquake in your soul. I mean, every time there's a new pope, they're like, oh, here he is, the Antichrist. Or, you know, you know Gorbachev had this red mark on his head. And they're like, oh, it's red. It's, oh, he's the Antichrist. You know, and, you know, and then it was Obama. You know, now it's Trump. And it's like everybody's it's always every, it's a different character is, is the Antichrist until they're no longer in office. And then, you know, well, so much for that. And, and the reality is, is that the world is unstable. It, it always has been, and, and until Christ returns, it, it always will be. And so it's important that we trust in the stability of the Lord. And this is simple but true, especially for a follower of Jesus. Once we put our confidence in anything other than the Word of God, we become what the scripture calls double-minded. We're living with one foot in one world and one foot in another world. And we, uh, actually the Bible says we are to be pitied among all men and we will be easily shaken. So verse three uh, introduces um, us to somebody that the apostle John calls the Antichrist. Uh, same description used in various places in the Bible. Uh, Jesus uses it, Paul uses it, but um, the Apostle John puts a name on him, calling him the Antichrist, and, uh, and, in that, and his involvement in the day of the Lord in a time period that many theologians call the Great Tribulation. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. You might want to underline that in your Bible. So whenever you're talking with people about this stuff, kinds of stuff, you want, to let, you want to remember that the Lord does not want us to be deceived. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless, and then he's going to give us some signs. Now, previously, in 1 Thessalonians, it seemed like for the, for the believers, his return was imminent. We weren't going to know when he was going to come. But now here's some signs that he's going to tell us. So is he wrong, or is there two appearances of God? One, remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we went up to be with the Lord, but in chapter 5, he came down to, to the world. And so... We'll see what he says here. Let no one be let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will co- will not come unless the falling away comes first, 
and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Again, John refers to him as the Antichrist, the Apostle John. And here's how we're going to recognize him. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, that seems to eliminate a lot of characters, at least so far, that we've tried to play pin the tail on the Antichrist on. See, there I go again. And, and so that we, he says that he's going to come and sit in the temple of God and declare himself to be God. And people are like, well, there's no temple. Well, it could be rebuilt. How, how long does it take to put up a skyscraper in New York City? Not very long, does it? And uh, supposedly they've got everything ready to go and they can have the temple up in about a month, whereas it took them uh, about 70 years before, before that. And so, and then he poses a question to them in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So he's, he's saying to them, listen, you know this stuff. I've taught it to you. I told you the truth. And now you've let these false teachers come in and tell you that you're in the day of the Lord. God's wrath is being poured out. You're in the day of judgment. But I came and told you that you would know you were in it by these signs. Besides the fact that I told you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it appears that some of you will not even be there. Uh, Here the Apostle Paul said, again, I explained this stuff when I was with you. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be unsettled by this. If you will, it's like he's saying, don't listen to the conspiracy theory, people. Don't listen to the people who teach newspaper eschatology. They're like, just here we go. Just read the newspaper. You don't need to read the Bible. There it is right there. Um, or or don't, li- don't listen to people who their experience is pushing out the truth. The kind of people who are just kind of making it up as they're going along. God desires, and this is his desire for their church and for our church and for all churches, healthy, well-balanced churches, vibrant churches, growing churches where the people are growing in their faith, And that is not here for sure what false teaching is producing. Do you ever meet anybody who who, tells you they're Christians and after you're done talking to them, your head is spinning and you're like, what a nut job. Okay, right? (laughs) That is what false teaching produces. Or someone who's just totally paranoid. Like, oh my gosh, if, if I do this wrong. You know, God's not going to love me. He's, he's not going to, he's going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to lose my salvation. I'm going to be in bad trouble. That is, that is what false teaching does to people. And so he's telling them because the future is certain, because God can be counted on, we can stay grounded in the tough times. We just need to remember and allow the light of the gospel, the light of the word of God, the light of Christ, of the spirit of God, to pierce the darkness. If we don't do that, we'll get what we sometimes call, uh, Paul Tripp calls, identity amnesia. We'll forget who we are. We'll lose our perspective. And that's why it's so important to let the truth of the word of God anchor us at all times. That's why it's important to teach and to read what the Apostle Paul called in the book of Acts, the whole counsel of God. Not to just pick and choose the parts we want to hear. And here we go. I haven't said this in a long time. We cannot make just simply the reading of our happy calendars that we have, you know, the kind that we flip off every day and you don't need to give them to me. People will give them to me for years here as a joke. And, and you, you, you flip your happy calendar and you only read the happy verses. That's what we call Pollyanna Christianity. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it and you can watch the movie Pollyanna. It's actually kind of interesting in a lot of ways. I feel bad for the pastor. He's really uh, not in a good position in that place. But we don't want to just pick and choose the parts we want to hear. And again, this section is difficult. It bears repeating why it is. And we have to fight the temptation to add to it. 
It's difficult because it's brief, because it's a clarification of, of what he had been teaching them and the questions that they had been asking. And be careful of the people who say, well, that's all we get, and this is what he meant. Be very, very careful of that stuff, and you just say, well, how do you know? How do you know that's true? In fact, that's a question you can talk to a lot of people about when they talk to you about faith. When they say, well, I, this, is, you know, this is what I think. You just say, well, how do you know that's true? You're like, I don't know what to say. Just ask them. How do you, how do you know that's true? You know, the, you know, they say stuff like, you know, all religions are the same. And you're like, uh, 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 how do you know that's true? <laughs> right? so, so these are things to try and help you to just keep the conversation uh, moving along. In, in such cases, when we don't have everything, what do we do? We look for the main point. And the main point so far is not to be deceived and the day of the Lord has not come yet. And so he says, there's a few ways you're going to know that the day of the Lord is upon you if you're still here. And the first he says is there will be some sort of a religious rebellion. This is often referred to as apostasy or the great apostasy. Apostasy is a military term for the abandoning of a position. So a soldier has a position out in the field. Soldiers stand there, guard this, guard that, and they abandon post, and we use it in faith in terms of a departing from the faith. Now, it's hard to know specifically what that means. Why? Because history has been filled with such times, and we all know people who have apostatized. You know, uh, I was talking to a guy the other night, uh, not from our church, but he, he was talking about false conversions. And a lot of people seem to be part of the body of Christ, and then they just want nothing to do with it. He was talking about a friend of his that was once a mentor to him and then became an atheist. And so we would say that he apostatized. He departed. He abandoned his position. And so that we all know people like that. And while it's sad to me, uh, it appears to me here that he's speaking of an apostasy like the world has never seen before. And what's really sad is this falling away, this compromise of faith seems to be among compromised believers. You say, how do you know? Well, they're in the temple or they're, or they're, just, they're, they're just to apostatize is to, is to fall away. And it's actually, this is something we're witnessing today. And, and you might not think it because the news does not portray it very well. Um, you'll read the statistics on people falling away from Christianity, and if you read them as you know, people who once said they were Christians and now longer say they are or they're not, the statistics are pretty grim. But on the other hand, when you, if you tighten the criteria and say, well, you attend church a certain amount of times a month, you're active in volunteering in your church, you read your Bible you know, a few times a week, you pray virtually every day, um, you, know, you give a little bit of money to the church or a lot of money, whatever it is. You put all the different spiritual disciplines together. What you find out is that group is actually growing, not setting the world on fire, but that world is actually growing. It's what we sometimes refer to as, there's a lot of names for it, uh, the mushy middle or the dead center. Uh, there's all different kinds of words that pastors have for it. It's that group that is the falling away group. It is that group that once declared that they were followers of Jesus and now are saying that, well, they're none or they're really not sure. So you have the two opposite ends, extremes. They're the groups that are really growing in power, if you will, and, and in strength. Those who are full-on believers and those who are full-on haters of, of, of the Christian faith. Those groups are growing. And here's the thing. The groups that tend to really hate the Christian faith are a lot louder. They're a lot louder. I, I, I know that sometimes when I've talked to people who, you know, have some uh, a particular social issues that they have, and, and they'll say, well, you Christians, you hate everybody who's like that. And I'll say to them, okay, I, I, I hear you on that. Um, how many Christians have actually been mean to you regarding that? And they're like, usually like, well, none, really, <laughs> right? You know, but I heard, or something like that. And I'll say, but, but what do you see the treatment towards Christians on that issue, even from your camp? And they'll say, it's been not very good. 
it's been not very good. So the two extremes are, are, are seemingly growing at the, at the same time. And so uh, this revolt against God and his son will be led by an international, powerful, well-known figure, and he will be against everything God stands for. That's part of the term antichrist, against. But anti can also mean instead. So this guy will seek to take the place of God. Now, he's not Satan. He's an instrument of Satan. And, and people wonder, will he come after the falling away? Or will he be a massive promoter of the, of the falling away? Probably both are true. Both are true, as he, again, is an instrument of Satan doing his work. His specialty, and we're going to see a couple examples in this teaching tonight that that the Apostle Paul has been teaching them from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament like we do, and these are some of his earliest letters, the letters to the Thessalonians. Uh, His special, this Antichrist, his specialty from Daniel 11 will be using deception, using compromise to to promote godlessness. In fact, he will deceive many as he attempts to dethrone God by declaring himself to be God himself. So who is he? Who is he? Did I hear somebody just say Pastor Neil? Is that yeah. <laughs> who, who is he? Who is he? Well, we don't know. But we've seen people have an unhealthy obsession with him. And what has happened is that if you have an unhealthy obsession with trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist, it would be very easy for you to be taken away from the mission of the gospel. And that's part of the deception. That's, that's part of what the devil would like. Certainly, the spirit of Antichrist has always been with us, and those who oppose Jesus Christ are here. So what do we do? Do we give in? What do we do? I think we learned it in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. The apostle told us this. See then that you walk circumspectly, some of your versions say carefully, and not as fools but as wise, verse 16, redeeming the time. Some versions say making the best use of time. Another version says making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So, so in these, these times of where that spirit of Antichrist is there, don't roll over and play dead. That's exactly what the enemy wants. Fight the battle. We fight the battle with the word of God and love and, and be kind. Be willing to take one for the team. Don't get frustrated with people. Love them. Listen to them. And, and gain the opportunity to share the truth with them. And so these are, these are the things that God would have us to do. Just a couple words again on verse 5. Let's go back to that quickly. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now, I don't know, I don't know whether that's a broken heart or a frustrated heart. Uh, maybe we'll get to ask the apostles someday. But here's what I want to say about that. The way not to be deceived is to stay in the truth. That's so simple it bears repeating. The way not to be deceived is to stay in the truth. And so here he tells them, listen, I taught you about the apostasy. I taught you about the Antichrist. But if you don't keep yourself sharp in the word of God, if I don't keep myself sharp, and if you don't, if none of us keep ourselves sharp in the word of God, we lack the power of the word of God we lack the clarity of our minds, and then we are much more vulnerable to the lies of the false teachers, to the lies of the culture. I can't tell you how many times I've seen those goofy prosperity preachers on the television, and they say stuff like this. You don't need to read the Bible for yourself. You need a man of God. That's big. It's big in, in a lot of parts of the world. It's written. It's an Old Testament term, the man of God. They call themselves the self-proclaimed man of God. You need the man of God to interpret the Bible for you. I sit there and go, you jerk. That's how you get them. 
The last thing they want you to do is to read the Bible for yourself because then you're going to go, the emperor has no clothes. What he's teaching us is not true. And so we have to stay sharp. We'll also fall, if we're not sharp in the word of God, we're not immersed in the word of God for ourselves, get into the word of God so the word of God gets into you, we're going to be susceptible to the lies of the culture. And our culture is constantly changing. How many things have we been wrong about? How many things have we been wrong about? I've had this conversation with a lot of, a lot of people that say, well, you know, look at the, you know, look at the people who use the Bible to, who, to, to you know, make excuses for their sins. I said, well, that's because they, they were people who were more interested in their sin than the word of God. There are people, when we talked about it, about the Nazis doing it, about the Jews, but the term the Jews, typically used in the gospel, is the religious leaders who rejected Jesus. You can make any book say anything you want it to if, if you pick and choose. And so that's what happens with a lot of people. That's why we have to be immersed in it. Uh, and to assume we already know things or we can make lots of life-changing decisions without consulting the word of God can be absolutely disastrous. Absolutely disastrous. And, and a lot of times I know we, we come across the same themes over and over again in the Bible. And we're like, why does God keep telling us the same stuff over and over again? Husbands, you know why. <laughs> you know why. I mean, you know, my poor wife has to put on, she just should have a tape recorder. I tell her, babe, you should get a tape recorder that just says, press the button, how many times do I have to tell you? And then <laughs> I'll have a menu that you can select from on your, on your phone or something like that, pre-play things. Just say, save, your, you know, save your energy because we have to be told the same things over and over again. Uh, and, and she's not a nag. I'm just a doofus. I mean, don't blame, you know, don't blame, don't blame her. Second Peter, for, uh, chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. He's been talking about making your calling, the calling of God, sure, not stumbling, entering the kingdom of heaven. He says this, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So he says, I'm going to keep reminding you. Verse 13, Yes, and I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, in this body, to stir you up by reminding you. Verse 14, knowing that, you, that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Well, how did he do it? He wrote the Bible. He, he trained up other people to be able to carry on the truth down through the generations. Now, verse 6 we get some real insider info. All right, this is stuff that you don't find all over the Bible, so let's, let's pay careful attention. And now you know, why? Because I told you when I was with you, what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. So this Antichrist is being restrained. We said another, on another study that perhaps you know, we, you know, people thought it was Hitler and Mussolini and all these evil people throughout the ages Perhaps because Satan is in the dark on these things, he's preparing a guy throughout the generations, but God is maybe making things a little bit cloudy for us, so he's even shielding him from knowing the exact time when, when all this stuff will happen. So he says, For as you know what is restraining, that it, he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who is now who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So someone is restraining, and someone is going to be taken out of the way, right? And then when he is taken out of the way, this man of lawlessness will be able to rise up. So Who's the he? Who's the restrainer? Well, for years, most people thought that it was the Roman Empire, that it was the government. The Apostle Paul had told that, said that the government, uh, Romans chapter 13, was God's instrument of righteousness to keep people, you know, keep evil at bay. And so you could understand why they thought maybe it was the Roman, 
government. Uh, other people think it's just government in general, that they are the restrainer. I know they're the restrainer of how much money we keep, aren't they? Yeah, they're the restrainer of that, but, but not maybe evil. Uh, some people thought it was Israel. And, and some people thought it was um, Satan and the false teachers. How they got that, I have no idea. That somehow that they were being restrained. Uh, some people think the restrainer was the gospel. Some people think the restrainer is the church. Uh, I'll talk in a minute while if you want to say the church and the Holy Spirit, I'm there with you. But to me, I really believe that it is the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we often hear people say things can't get worse. But here the Lord says um, there's actually a restraining ministry going on. Can you imagine? This is the restraining ministry. So, so somehow the world, if you will, is being held together which is kind of interesting when you consider, you know, gosh, we have enough military might to blow the thing up how many times? And, and so the world up how many times? And so there's, there's a restraining ministry going on. But to me, this is just an opinion. It seems to me the whole, only the Holy Spirit is strong enough to restrain the work of Satan. And Satan's work started in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. And as scary as it seems to me, he has actually been restrained throughout history. So, so we're, we're actually seeing the restraining ministry of him now. And at some time on God's calendar, if I'm correct that it is the Holy Spirit or it's the Holy Spirit in the church, operating in this church, the Holy Spirit who is a person, but he's also a powerful force, not in the Star Wars sense, but, but he's, he's very, very powerful. At some point in time, we're told, he's going to remove his restraint. Now, I'm going to make the case to you in a bit. It's not entirely, but he's going to remove it. You, what, what, what's that like? Well, it could be similar to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon people. In the New Testament, he came to, after Christ's uh, death and resurrection, he came to indwell people. Could it go back to something like that? I don't really know. I'm hoping I'm not here. Uh, to, me, to us, it means that we have yet to see Satan's unrestrained power at its worst. And one day, the restrainer will let the world see it or at least see part of it. So to the Thessalonians, he's telling them, and I believe to us too, he's saying, you are not in the day of the Lord. These things are not happening. You're not seeing these things before you. You are not there. And, and so they, remember, they had received full teaching on this. So do I believe that the Holy Spirit will be completely gone? Um, I don't. I don't. Because you, we do see in this time of tribulation that there will be people who will come to faith. And you need the Holy Spirit to come to faith. We call them tribulation saints. And so I don't think he will be totally removed. What I think will happen is, is he will loosen his grip. He will loosen up his restraining ministry. And this person, the Antichrist, will be revealed. I think it's going to be our next president. Just, just stoking the fire, just seeing who's still awake. Um, important thing that we, uh, we, we must see uh, verse 7, the deceiver is already at work. He's already at work. He's at, he's at work in Thessalonica. He's at work uh, throughout the Roman Empire. He's at work among the false teachers. He's at work in the persecution. And we would have to believe he is still at work today. And his plan has not changed. That's the thing about it. Different, you know, different day, different, you know, different time. But the plan has not changed trying to weaken God's people, trying to deceive God's people. And that's why we cannot let our guard down, thinking that he is on vacation. First uh, John chapter 2, the book of Daniel, Jesus himself, all said that he is here now, which must mean that we have to keep our guard on now. Now, here I get a little bit gloomy and doomy as far as the American church is concerned is, I'm not so sure that we are on our guard. 
while in, in the 70s and 80s and early 90s, we seem to have end time hysteria. Some of you are warning, wondering, how did that happen? Israel became a nation in 1948. Then we were told that in one generation, the Lord would return. One generation, 40 years, 1988. Other people used the dates in the 40s for, for, for different stuff. But people thought that, that Jesus was going to return. So end times mania was, was at a super high level. And then people started to think, well, maybe he's not coming. And then Y2K, people are like, oh, yes, yes. When all the computers don't change, they were going to go. We're doomed. We're doomed. Doomsday. And then, you know, we woke up the next day and all our calendars and everything was fine. And so uh, some of that stuff has sort of uh, waned. But what happens is we tend to, uh, uh, in the church, we tend to go from one extreme to the other. So we go from end times fever to nobody even really talks about the second coming. Now we're into life improvement, life skills, how everything can be better. And so we're not really going to use the Bible in our teaching here and there, but we're really not going to teach it. And that's why, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that the church is not on our guard because we're not holding tightly to the word of the Lord. It's the word of God that makes us strong to resist false teaching because the pull of false teaching is very good. And, and you know this. Some of you have really picked up on it, and I'm, I'm always so proud of you when you say this to me. They'll say, I was watching this guy on TV, and I realized the stuff that he was saying was not true. And I'm like, yeah, that guy's like 70, and he grew up in this kind of false teaching error. And then they'll say, but I watched this other person. They were younger, and it wasn't what they were saying was wrong. It was what they were leaving out that was bothering me. That's the new strain of deception. Same, same group of people. They come from the same group. But they used to say crazy things, and people believed it. Now people know that the emperor has no clothes. So they're not believing that. And so what are they doing? They're, they're saying things that people want to hear, but they're leaving out the parts that people don't want to hear. So um, when I say that we are not on our guard, this is I have just two thoughts on this, and I'll be done. We'll move on. If I am right, God help us. If the American church is not on the guard for, for the deception that's coming our way, God help us. Um, if I am wrong, God help me. Seriously, because it, it, it really scares me. Verse 8, we see the power of, uh, of, of the restrainer and, and, and of the Lord Jesus. And then the lawless one will be revealed and then the Apostle Paul moves from, and you could make the, the case that the beginning of verse 8 belongs in verse 7, and then he moves to ultimately to the end, to the fate of, of this lawless one, whom the Lord, uh, some versions say the Lord Jesus, will consume, and the idea is he will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth and destroy, what, what, is, what is that? Uh, probably going to render him powerless, bring his, his, to an end his reign with the brightness of his coming. Probably referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ to earth. Now to me, as bad as it seemed before, is as good as this seems now. Uh, this is full of hope. In the end, the sheer light of Jesus Christ will destroy the darkness Sadly, those who are deceived by the spirit of Antichrist will have a similar fate. Um, the plans and purposes of God will prevail, and they will find themselves in the same fate as this lawless one. Uh, again, great hope to me that the, the one who can so easily disrupt the whole world can be so easily defeated. And that's the whole idea here. Um, verse 8 speaks of, the, of, of Christ's judgment and his amazing power. I mean, look what it says. He can destroy him with his breath. You're like, Jesus has bad breath? No, that's not what he's talking about here, right? The idea is, is that it will be effortless for Jesus. As simple as, you know, blowing bubbles, you know, blowing a dandelion. You're gone. That's it. That's the whole idea of what it's going to be like. Verse uh, Isaiah eleven four. he says, and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. That's how easy it will be for God. Um, in Revelation 19, it says that from the seed of the temple, that the Lord will just be able to cast the devil into 
the, the lake of fire. So verse 9, we go back to the revealing of the lawless one, uh, not for back from his fate. Verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. You say, how we, you kept attributing him to Satan? I read ahead, I'm sorry. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, people who buy into him, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. It's very serious, isn't it? It's why we, we need to stay at preaching the gospel. Like, I don't, I, don't really, I don't really want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. This is a lot more uncomfortable, isn't it, for them? So this takes us back to the tribulation period, um, what some theologians call or refer to as the 70th week of Daniel, that last period of time. Deceptions of all kinds will be the order of the day. And those who don't trust in Jesus will trust in the deceiver. And unlike true believers, these people will not love the truth of the word of God. They will not believe the gospel. They won't put their trust in Jesus. They won't be saved. And they will go to hell. Again, this deceiver is empowered by Satan. He is the leader of the great apostasy. And the mission is unwavering. It is relentless and his revolt against God. Now, it's interesting. It, it says here that, that, he will be, um, that he will be coming, the coming of the lawless one. I wonder if he will be pretending to be the second coming of Christ. And, and, and here we're told that, that he's going to be with all power signs and lying wonders. And... and Boy, that, that's, a, that's, a scary, that's a scary thing to me. You know, Jesus' miracles led people to the truth, but his miracles are going to lead people to deception. And it's interesting, it tells us that all miracles are not from God. So again, we have to be very, very careful. Uh, Matthew 24, Lord willing, the chapter will be at this weekend. Jesus says this, verse 10 through 12, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Well, you certainly can, you can picture why the Thessalonians were worried. While they are concerned that they are in the, in the beginning of this time, that, that it's only going to get worse for them. Verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Now, to us, that sounds like, that doesn't sound very nice. Um, let's go a little further. That they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, eventually, at this time period, God will people will reject God to the point where God says, okay, you can have it your way. You, you can believe the lie. Now, I would caution you from making such judgments against people. We have, we have no idea. You remember in the book of Acts when the apostle Paul became a Christian, um, you know, <laughs> people are praying like, oh, Lord, uh, just, just, can I, do you know who this dude is? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, God's like, no, I don't. <laughs> right? So, so, so nobody ever thought that guy would get saved. And, you know, we have to say this a lot of times. You're probably one of the many, I know I was, of people who nobody ever thought would get, would get saved. And so don't, don't, let, let the Lord be the judge of that one. Um, so the pattern is simple. If someone rejects the truth, they live unrighteously. Now, we have to be really careful with this because we all know a lot of really nice people who aren't Christians, don't we? And we, know, we all know a lot of real snarky, nasty Christians, don't we? And, and so sometimes people want to tell you that doesn't compute, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that the snarky, nasty Christian knows that they need a Savior, and so they put their trust in Jesus Christ, and they are being sanctified. They are being made more like Jesus Christ, while the other person, maybe they're nice, they think they don't need Jesus. That's a self-righteousness that doesn't appear self-righteous, and that's why they are not one of, one of God's people. So it is, 
it is thoroughly possible that, it shouldn't always be this way, that your neighbor, who's not a Christian, might be a nicer person than you. Some of you look like you're agreeing. You're like, yeah, he definitely is, okay? All right, shovels my driveway, all right? <laughs> Cuts my lawn. He's trying to tell you to do it yourself. Don't you know that? Okay, so let, let's keep going. No charge for that advice. And so they live unrighteously in the sense that they don't trust Jesus, and that is what will condemn them. And, and the apostles' words are strong. They did not believe the truth. Now, this is, again, we have to hold that tension. We'll talk about it in again in a little bit. But remember in Ephesians, we talked about predestination. If you were here, we talked about predestination, that God predestined people who are going to heaven. And people say to me, do you believe in predestination? I go, of course I do. And they go, why? I go, because it's in the Bible. That's why I believe in it. But here, it's clear, he says they had a choice. He said these people did not believe the truth. So we, we have to hold those things in, in tight tension. We, they're not enemies. They're compatible with one another. So while many glory in their defiance, they, 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 they discount their defiance that God is okay with it, and that discounting is what seals their eternal fate. Now, why is he telling them this? Why is he telling us all of this? So we remember the main point, which is what? Verse 3, you will not be deceived. Verse 5, you will remember what you have already been taught from the Bible. Which means that God wants his people to be alert, not paranoid. You know, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Alert is you're just watching what's going on. You're trying to filter it through the word of God. You know that some of the things that are going on, that that go on in our society and our culture, and and you have uh, different things that are trying to take God out of our culture. We're witnessing it right now. We're seeing it right now. Are Are there forces behind it? I think that we have every reason to believe that there is. But on the other hand, there are people that may be part of that agenda or movement or whatever you want to call it, and they're individual people who Jesus Christ came and died for, and they need for us to love them and to, and to share the gospel with them. What I'm trying to say, loved ones, is it's very important to separate the people from the movement because sometimes the movement doesn't speak for the people. And it's very important to, to separate the souls from the agenda. And so be, we have to be very, very careful so we don't appear like these hate monger people, right, that we're able to love people on an individual basis. And then we might be able to get a word in edgewise after we've heard them of what the good news of Jesus Christ is. And so God wants us to be alert, but not paranoid immersed in the word of God. And I think the times in which we live, and I tell this to the young people all the time, I say, listen, I think there's going to be less of you, but I think you're going to be stronger, which is actually great. If, if the Lord does not come back, it's going to be great for the church long term. However, I, I will say this, you need to be more of a student of the word of God now than you ever did before. Because you're going to have to really like we said Sunday, instead of the information dump on people, you're going to have to really listen to people. You're going to have to engage with them, find the points of agreement, and then you're going to have to, you can speak biblical truth into them. So instead of bringing the Bible to them, you bring them to the Bible. And it's a big cultural shift that we've gone under. If you don't believe me, you don't know any young people, right? Because it's very, very different I, I'm, I'm thrilled with the, the ability to engage people like that, and I love the fact that God keeps us sharp by letting things constantly change. The gospel change, changes, but sometimes the way we have to think about it, we have to change. So we want to be immersed in the Word of God, confident in its truth, confident in its power. Otherwise, if we aren't there, we're, we're, don't worry about the culture. Think about yourself. 
it would be very easy, and we've seen it happen to a lot of people. If, you, if you're around this Christian thing for a long time, you see it happen to a lot of people. They end up like the frog in the pot. Do you know what the frog in the pot is? That's where you put the, you put the frog in, you turn the heat on, and the frog doesn't realize that the water's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And before they know it, right, the, the, they are unaware that they are boiling, that they are dying. And we have to be very careful. The drift does not take very long. The drift does not take very long. Verse 13, similar to last week's uh, verse 3 in chapter 1, actually we see the Trinity here in salvation, but we are bound to give thanks to God, always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. I think he means Jesus there, but he'll use his name again in a second. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. So God chose you, that's God's part. And belief in the truth, that's your part. So you have God's part, our part, God's sovereignty, human responsibility. Now, it's interesting. uh, Some people will say, well, I'm chosen to be saved, but not to be sanctified. You're like, what are you talking about? Right, the, the the two go hand in hand. That's why you have a lot of people who say, "Oh yeah, I prayed the prayer, um, but you know God forgives me, so I live like the devil." Mm, fall, press the false conversion button, right? Let your baloney meter go off. Um, and, and so and so, the, the the two go hand in hand. We chose for salvation and through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which He called you. So that's God's part. By our gospel, so how do, how do you get the gospel? Humans deliver it to you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of ourselves? No, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in their fear, the Apostle Paul now moves them away from the Antichrist to Jesus Christ and reminds them of this. God chose you. God is sanctifying you. He's making you more like Christ. He set you apart. He's making you more like Christ. He's holding on to you. And here we see, once again, the mastery of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is a great theologian outside of Jesus Christ, the greatest theologian the world has ever seen, but he's also a great pastor. He's calming the people down. And he's actually thanking God for keeping them in the truth. Now, why you say, well, why doesn't he thank them for staying in the truth? Well, because we waver. Remember we talked about that last week? But when he thanks God, then we have confidence that God is keeping us in the truth even when we are wavering. Now, is what we do important? Yes. Is it close to what God does for us in the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? No way. No way. And that's our security. The security is that God has a hold of us, that, that God has got his, his finger on the pulse of our lives, that he's keeping us close at hand. And so that's why we stay secure, that the Lord has taken followers of Jesus from deception to believing in the truth. Why? Because he loves you and because he protects his children. Yet again, we again and again in the word of God, we we see the tension of God choosing us in the past and us choosing him now. God chose us for salvation, but we chose God to we chose to believe in God and we choose to follow God and to walk with God every day or not. And those things, we need to keep them in, in, in tight, tight tension. And, and the problem was this, and it's a problem we all go through. The Thessalonians had responded to the gospel. They were saved, but they were failing to live in the security of the gospel. Again, I want to say that again, very simple. I don't want that to go over anybody's head. Very simple, okay? They were saved, They responded to the gospel, but they were failing to live in the security of the gospel. 
And when you live in the security of the gospel, you will live with both of your feet on the ground. You won't be what we see in chapter 3. You won't become lazy and irresponsible. You'll become about your father's business, as Jesus said. And verse 14 shows us that living in this security reflects God's glory. You, you, people say, like, I, I want to be a good witness to people. Live in the security that you have in Christ. Be secure in that. Be confident in Christ and what he has done for you. And that's really what salvation is all about. That's how we bring glory to God, is being secure in him. And, and through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus showed himself to be equal to God and the calling of the Holy Spirit and our response to that. Jesus' work, the calling of the Spirit and our response. It doesn't matter if, we, if, if, if Jesus didn't do his thing and the Spirit didn't call us. It doesn't matter what our response would be. It reminds us, as Jonah told us, salvation is of the Lord. Verse 15, therefore, therefore, what's it there for? Because of what God has done, brethren, talking to the people in the church here, and he's giving us our responsibility, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. Now, this is a verse that gets a lot of people in a lot of trouble. They go, oh, my church has this whacked out, goofy tradition that has nothing to do with the Bible, and I feel like it's false teaching. It's not all traditions, it's apostolic traditions, right? <laughs> okay, so, so hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word, the apostles went around, they were pastors, they were church planters, whether by the teaching you heard from the apostles or epistle in the letters that the apostles wrote. So he's telling us here that we won't be deceived if we stand firm, if we hold on to the truth, that is actually holding on to us instead of grasping for some new thing. It is these new teachings that unsettle followers of Jesus. Some of you come from churches where there was constantly new teachings. We're wise. We know. The scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. Right? And, and, so, and so but they bring in this new teaching and it's either very unsettling for the people or it's leading people to all different kinds of lifestyles which are against what, what, what God says. And so, and they're unsettling to followers of Jesus. And so here we see the call again to stay anchored in the word of God. Interesting though, although salvation is of the Lord, we are called to actively stand. We are called to be in it, to be in the game it's almost like he is warning them and us believers throughout the ages. A storm is coming, including unbiblical traditions. And be ready. Be ready. Chapter ends with a prayer. Verse 16 and 17 is at least one sermon. I will not give it to you tonight. Don't worry. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. Did you just catch that? He just mentioned Jesus first. Did you catch that? That's something you don't really see too much. Usually it's God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He just mentioned Jesus first. Who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. In other words, the assurance that God keeps us. Verse 17, he's kind of saying, well, may the Lord... Comfort, some of you verses say, encourage your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Just don't talk a good game, live a good game. Don't be just going around talking. It's a lot easier to talk about being Christian. Some people only want to talk about being a Christian. Some people only want to work at being a Christian. He puts them both together and he says, I want you to be about both. So he believed in an active faith with eyes fixed on Christ that believers should stand firm in good word and good works. So sanctification makes us into growing and productive members of the body of Christ, not mere spectators. And as we continue to study the word of God, we know God is faithful. And, and when we know that he is faithful, we become less 
fearful. And when we know he's faithful and we become less fearful, we become more confident in our salvation and we start being willing to take steps of faith and different risks that we might not take before. You say, I don't know if I can do it. Take a step, open your mouth, help somebody out, watch what God does. So the Apostle Paul is praying that they would not falter, but rather they would know God more deeply and respond with lives that are pleasing to God. You see, the the fact that God loved us and gave us his grace will never, ever be seen any clearer than the cross of Jesus Christ. See, there we see God's great love for us. And the resurrection gives us the confidence that this, we, what we believe in, is true. And it's also there that we receive hope. And remember, hope is not like, I hope it kind of works out. Hope is certainty. That no matter what's going on right now, that nothing, nothing in our lives passed by God's desk without him signing off on it. He, he, he knew it was going to happen. He's using it in your life and in my life to build your faith stronger. So like the Lord Jesus, we don't just survive. We don't just survive the battle. We move forward. We hear the call. We respond to the call. We turn to God. We're willing to forsake our sins. We put our trust in Jesus Christ, and we stand firm in his love and his grace, assured that his plan will come to pass. Well, let's stand and pray.